the security guard stepped up and he goes, the ER is on lockdown, you can't leave. And I was like, you don't understand, I have to leave. And he was like, you can't leave. And I said to him, my daughter can't breathe, my dad is dying and I'm covered in vomit. You will let me go through that door. Welcome back to the Prepare Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Hanton. We're continuing our series on grief, exploring all different types of loss and grieving and the process that we go through. And on today's episode, we welcome Evie Posley. Evie is a wife and a mom and a beautiful soul with a beautiful story. And you're going to love hearing her share her journey through grief, losing her dad after battling cancer. And this story isn't just about the suffering and the pain, watching someone go through a cancer battle. It's also a story of redemption and a life of testifying to God's grace right up till his dying breath. Now, I'm not going to tell you to grab your tissues, but you might want to grab your tissues because Evie gets real with us. But what I love so much about Evie is the joy that she still has, even walking through grief. So here we go. I hope you enjoy my conversation with my friend Evie. Welcome to our podcast, Evie. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We are so grateful that you're taking a minute and talking to us today. I know this is kind of a heavy topic for us to dive into, but I really feel like it's important and I feel like the Holy Spirit's really leading me to go deeper and talk yeah. about some of the the hard things, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But before we do get into all that, we want to know just a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in your life right now. So right now, my favorite thing is, other than being a child of God, yes, is to be wife to Kevin Polesley mm-hmm. and mom to Ellie and Esther Polesley. So Ellie's 14 and Esther's seven. And everyone always says, oh my goodness, that's a ginormous age difference. Yes, it is. And that's a conversation for another day. Yes. Um, but... Yeah, I love, I love it. I'm so incredibly blessed to be a part of this little four unit that we are. Uh, Kevin is a physician and, and an associate professor at Loyola uh, University, Chicago. So I didn't know he was an associate professor. He is. So he, he sees patients. That's his main job. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's double boarded in adult medicine. So he sees adults and in pediatrics. So he sees kids. So he had a four-year residency, which we survived. Nice. And then um, he also teaches at the Stritch School of Medicine, so okay. which he loves loves doing. And he also teaches some residents as well. So. Nice. So it's, yeah, so it's busy being a doctor's wife and mm-hmm. being a mom. But in addition to that, um, I do have a job. I work at Tyndall House Publishers. And I'm a part of the Bible team, which is amazing. So my job is I do a lot of digital marketing for the New Living Translation. Woo, love the New Living Translation. Yes, I love it too. <laughs> so, and having worked with the translation committee, I love it even more. They're just people who have such a beautiful heart um, mm-hmm. for God and for people to really understand God's word and mm-hmm really kind of bring the Bible into a way that people could hear it in a similar way that people who were originally listening heard it. Because, yeah. you know, when the Bible 
was especially the New Testament, we were thinking fishermen, we're thinking right. about, you know, women, people maybe, there obviously were people who were educated, but it, but the masses were people who were not necessarily highly educated. Right. And so I just love it. Just It, it makes me feel very connected back to some of the um, original intent of the authors. Mm. And it's it's wonderful. So I, I love it. My job is to help people connect with the Bible. <laughs> so that's really exciting. <laughs> that's amazing. So you have two kids, two girls, Ellie and Esther. And yes. Ellie and Taryn, my daughter Taryn, are really good <laughs> buds. And I just, I they love are. watching their friendship <laughs> blossom. And uh, it's just so, so fun to watch them together. And um, I'm so grateful for knowing you. And you and I, we've known each other quite a long time. We have um, a long history and a good history. Yes, we do. I actually lived with Evie and her family yes, pre-marriage, yes. all of our, you know, yes. pre-Kevin <laughs> and my pre-Tom days. Yes. I lived with uh, Evie and, and her sister Erica and her mom, mm-hmm. Deb, and her dad, Randy. And what a time that was. It was so fun. That's so, so fun great. Just getting to know you guys better. I felt like I was always one of you <laughs> like yes, from the moment exactly. I stepped in the house. So yeah. Yeah, it was wonderful. That was great. Those were such great times. They were. They were good days. And you guys were, you were an answer to prayer for me, taking me in before I got married and helping me save money. And that was just a really good part of my life. But we, I didn't know you very well growing up. Our right. age difference isn't, there's not many years between us, but tell us a little bit about how you came up. Give us your little backstory growing up as an officer's kid and fill in some of those blanks for us. Yeah, so I was an officer's kid and we have an interesting family mm-hmm. in that we were a four. It was my dad and my mom and me and Erica But then also my dad's identical twin brother married my mom's little sister. Mm -hmm. So my cousins, Emily and Caleb, really are more like my brother and sister. Yeah, Yeah, that's so crazy (laughs) to think about. So we've we've really been a family unit of eight for our, our lives just because our moms are very, very close, but our dads, especially being identical twins, mm. were incredibly close. I mean, they were like, the, they're the type of people that like, they would seriously have a conversation with saying no words. <laughs> like they were, it was amazing. And like, awesome. they would call each other, they call each other and they'd be in like the same shirt. I mean, they just have this like <laughs> awesome. insane, close, close connection so, and then Emily and Caleb and Erica and I have all the same relatives. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have an interesting and wonderful larger family. Um, and we, I mean, I've got amazing cousins on both sides mm-hmm. who I love dearly. So family has always been a big part of my life. My parents are retired officers. And so we've lived in many places across the Midwest. We live uh, lived in Omaha and Mason City and St. Louis and Minnesota and Chicago. And, you know, so we've we've crossed the we never entered into the Michigan realm that, you know, but <laughs> but Emily and Caleb did. And so I sort of mm-hmm. feel like I did because people think I'm Emily anyway. So, know, right? <laughs> well, you do share the so, same DNA. Um... I mean, really, your cells are very similar. <laughs> so. So, yeah, but growing up as an officer's kid, you know, 
there's a lot that you learn about sacrifice mm. and about about trust. Yeah. And so I really, you know, I really thought going into like, you know, my college years and my adult years, I'm like, oh, I understand trust. I've had to trust God all my life and with all these different moves and different things. And, but I really, uh, there was a lot more to learn about trust, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. but I, I have a, amazing, my mom and dad are incredible, completely opposite personalities. Okay. And I've got an interesting combination of both. Yep. Um, my dad was much quieter, more, he's the finance guy, you know what I mean? But incre- an amazing preacher, incredibly compassionate, but in a quiet way, able to just diffuse situations and bring peace. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, it was such an amazing thing to be able to witness that in yeah. some of his appointments. Yeah. My mom is, like, there's no one that she is not like does not immediately love. Yes. I don't know how she does it because people can drive me crazy, but she like, she just absolutely genuinely loves people. She and does. so she's been a wonderful example to me of that, of how to see the image of God mm. in everyone. And some people, you know, care about people, but I mean, like she has this genuineness that's just very real and just is able to show God's love and is very, very loud. So, um, <laughs> yes. we, we, we call the Garrington gift. Um, she, she's the, a big personality. Yep. <laughs> she is. And a lot of fun. So that's been a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And then I, I have a wonderful relationship with my sister, Erica. She also is a very different person. So it's great. It's fun that the four of us, God made us each uniquely, yeah. um, situated to be a family together as four when we were growing up, but even more, um, but even now as adults and very close to Emily and Caleb and Jan and Russ. And so, so that's sort of my childhood. I did go to, I did went to college, uh, I went to Bethel for two years and then transferred to Trinity International University. And then, um, after that got a degree in psychology, which I never used, but went on to get my master's in written communications from National Lewis University. So that's awesome. Which is why you're doing what you're doing now. Which is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yes. Living that out. (laughs) I'll never forget when we were living all under the same roof, you would bring home your writing. Yeah. I worked for the Central News, Central Connection, the beginning of my career. Yes. Right. Right. But that's a great way to start out. You know, you were getting yeah. your feet wet and Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And then that led to the second part of my life, which is was public relations. Yeah. So I I was the central territorial coordinator for, for public relations, working with the different um, divisional public relations people, which led to my next career at Loyola. Yeah. And so it's it's so awesome how, you know, you can look back and see the doors opening. Okay. Well, now we're going to walk through this one. Okay. This is going to prepare you for this one. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about your start at Loyola and what that led into. So Kevin was a resident at Loyola and I loved my job working in uh, community relations at the army. It was amazing. But with having a baby and having a husband who was an intern working full time just became too much. And so um, God really opened the door for me to be able to have a media relations position at the hospital where Kevin worked, which was incredible because when you're a resident, you're not home that much. So every Mm -hmm. once in a while, we'd still get to meet and have lunch together. But it was a completely different environment. It was people who were 
not Christians at all. Um, mm-hmm. I was going from like this wonderful Christian environment to a time surrounded by people who really were very turned off mm-hmm. to God. Interesting. Or just kind of marginal. Some of them, it's a Catholic hospital, so some were Catholic, but didn't really understand what it meant to have a deep personal relationship with Christ. And so that was a, an interesting environment to walk into and was a really good environment, really made, stretched me. And um, it was in that environment, the wonderful people though. I mean, I, ab- oh, yeah. I love them. I adore them. We still have times when we get together <laughs> from our, our group of media relations people. It's funny because like I was the source for all Christian knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's a scary place to be. Um, yeah. So, yeah. but but it was within that environment that we first learned about my dad um, getting sick. Mm. So my parents had been transferred to national headquarters in Washington, D.C. My dad was national finance and my mom was the Army's representative to Capitol Hill. Mm. So they were busy, but they had a new granddaughter. So mm. they would they were crazy. Like they would drive 13 <laughs> hours to spend like less than yeah. 24 hours with us and then drive 13 hours back. Yeah, there's nothing that's was going to keep your mom from that nope. grandbaby. <laughs> nope, nothing. So um, they they were, they were coming to visit us, and my dad's arm had been hurting him, and he he had it in a sling, and he had been seeing an ortho guy, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. Mm. And I think one of the things about having a physician as a husband is he has the like burden of knowledge a little bit. So he was saying to to my mom, this, this isn't right. If it's, there's no break or anything there, there's something else going on. You need to kind of push it a little bit. So my mom started, you know, getting my dad to seeing different doctors out in DC and they were, they came to visit us one weekend and they had just left. And my mom called, they were in Indiana somewhere and she was just frantic. And she Mm -hmm. was like, dad has his arm is like totally broken so he had just leaned over just like in a normal way not putting a ton of pressure just like getting up out of bed and his the bone in his arm like his upper arm completely snapped oh my gosh and he was just an excruciating pain and so that's when kevin was like this you got to get in to see somebody like an oncologist because i don't think that this has to do this this isn't right so they drove back to dc and they had some tests and things done. And then again, it was am- it's amazing how God puts you in the places that you need to be. So yeah. I was at work that day. One of my jobs in the media department was I also helped with like scripting and video shoots. And I was at a video shoot and Kevin came over. And when you're a resident, like you don't have free time. Right. So I was like, what in the world is he doing? Like, why is he here? And he's like, we really, we need to have a talk. And he said that they did a a PET scan of your dad and it came back that he has lots of cancer that has spread. Oh my gosh. And we didn't know yet what type of cancer it was, but he was like, you know, it's not good. And I just remember I'm at the shoot with the video team and a doctor and I'm like, just sobbing my face off and I was like I'm sorry I have to go right (laughs) like I can't it was a huge shock it was not something that we expected I mean he was dad was 55 or 56 right so it was not like he was I mean I guess for some people that feels old but it's not yeah (laughs) yeah right and and I bet that was really hard for you 
um, because you had lived near your mom and dad for so long. And to get this kind of news and diagnosis when they are, you know, miles and miles away in a different state and you can't go and hold their hands or hug them right. or right. see their, see them face to face, that must have been really hard on you. Yeah, it was very hard. The minute we got the news and Jenna Russ got the news, Jenna Russ went out there. So that was a real, um, and they had some really good friends, Amy and Rob Reardon, who mm-hmm. were stationed at NHQ at the time. It's another woman, Joan Canning. And the Gaithers, who are the national commanders, are some of the people that I, I love the most after what has happened. Yeah. But they were so helpful and encouraging and beautiful such people. a beautiful spiritual support. Mm-hmm. So again, God, God knows where we need to be yeah. and sustain us. And, you know, we don't necessarily see it at the time, but mm-hmm. I think this this goes into this idea of, I thought I understood trust, mm. but this was when I really got to start understanding what trust was really about. So yeah, so they took an early retirement and came back. My mom likes to tell the story how my mother-in-law called her and was like, Deb, you're done. You're coming home. <laughs> you're not facing this alone. You're coming home. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, I love her so much. Pat. <laughs> She's yes. fantastic. She's amazing. And she was, mm. she, my mom needed that. My mom, you know, is amazing. But at that moment, there's so much emotion, so much fear, yeah. so much exhaustion. And she needed somebody. And my my mother-in-law was like, okay, you're done. Yep. She needed her at that moment. And so yeah. we're still very thankful that they were able to come home. They didn't retire right then. They came home and had some appointments for a little bit before they took an early retirement. So that was a blessing that they were able to come home um, so dad could have his treatment done at Loyola mm-hmm. because yeah. uh, like we knew a lot of the doctors yeah. and the, the staff there was just phenomenal and amazing and so caring. And um, we were really thankful for the care and treatment that that he had. Yeah. So he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, which requires some the, the treatment at the time was a really difficult course of chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And so he took the the chemotherapy, which, again, my dad is an amazing, he was an amazing, brilliant man, mm-hmm. um, finance, yep. gifted preacher. We are very much a musical family. And my dad had just this gorgeous tenor voice. Yeah. It was it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the cancer and the... Um, the chemo really wreaked havoc Mm. on his body. And it was very difficult to watch that. Yeah. But again, learning, but I mean, he was such a beautiful example of trust. Mm. You know, people would ask him like, do you ever ask why? And he Mm -hmm. said, he says, why not? Why not? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which for me, I was like, no, why you? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. But he, yeah. He was just, I mean, obviously there were difficult times, you know, there's times of frustration and times of, again, it took a real huge physical toll on him. So how, how long from the time he got his diagnosis to when things got really bad for him? He actually did. He responded to chemo pretty well. And we had about six months when they call it no evidence of disease. Um, So the scans can only detect larger amounts of cancer actually and so there was no evidence that at the at the scan that he had had cancer but then about six months later he started not feeling well and it was like at christmas time and it had the cancer had come back and spread Mm -hmm. all over it was just yeah it was terrible like it spread 
to his brain. It had spread to other places in his body, other organs. And so it was at that point that we were, you know, he went through more chemo, more radiation. Yeah. And my parents and my aunts and uncles, they uh, were able to go to uh, the Holy Land, actually. What a gift. It was a, a beautiful experience for them. But they came back from the Holy Land and Kevin was on call. So that means he was at the hospital. He had to stay at the hospital overnight. And my mom was really tired. And so, and dad was not feeling well. And so I said to her, I said, why don't Ellie and I just come over and we'll spend the night at your house and Ellie can, you can go to bed with Ellie and I'll just stay up and take care of dad. Just make sure everything's okay. I knew he was not doing well then. And he just, yeah, he just was not doing well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was a really difficult. Yeah. Reality. Yeah. Um, And then the next morning we had to take him to the emergency room. And Kevin, Kevin was actually on oncology service. They said we're going to have to admit him. And the admitting doctor was like, he was supposed to be admitted to Kevin's team, which would not have been good for Kevin to have to try and be the person to care oh, for him. Right, um, right. And so they wound up admitting him to a different oncology team. But because Kevin was on service, like he was looking at the scans and mm-hmm. it was at that point that we realized he wasn't coming home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, at least to the earthly home. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Take your time. Yeah. So um, the, the, the doctors actually came in and we had to have a family meeting um, to to determine care. And it was decided, you know, that it, it, it just was best for him to go on, you know, like a hospice care. And again, he was so, at least with us, I think maybe with my mom and Uncle Russ, there may have been more talk about nervousness, but it just was, he just had so much faith and so much trust. So um, as a family, we we gathered around, his siblings came, a bunch of my cousins came. I mean, that mm-hmm. poor Loyola fourth floor <laughs> was like... <laughs> it was a showing like, wing. <laughs> it was overflowing with people you know what I mean coming and it was also I mean like just other people came to see him people who just loved him and and another blessing was the fact that he was really lucid he was really with it like sometimes during those times you're not but he he was the four of us sang together things we used to sing so it was really a beautiful time yeah Mm -hmm. it's a gift it's a memory Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm So, um, yeah, but it's it's this hard part with when someone you love is is dying in the hospital because it's like you just want to want to get out of there, but you realize that when you get out of there, like he's not coming with you. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, he loved the verse from Romans eight eighteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he reveal he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day that God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. I love that. And he shared that with with the doctors and with the nurses and with the with the techs who came in in and out of his room. And it was beautiful to see his witness, even in these last moments, just how that trust and that faith in God really was such a testimony to the people around him. And honestly, like I was saying, like how God puts us right where we need to be. It was wonderful that I was at Loyola so I could come over and be with him during work, but also he was a beautiful testimony and my mom was, and and I was able to testify to who we are in Christ. They were able to see that lived out in a way that they wouldn't have if we wouldn't have been where we were. One of the guys I worked with, an atheist, very turned off to God. And he said to me, I didn't believe God existed until I saw him through your dad. Oh my gosh, amazing. Right. So as the the horror and the suffering mm-hmm. and the pain, mm-hmm. you know, this the devil so wants to just have us wallow in that. But God is able to redeem that for his yes. glory. And d- does it still hurt? Is it still difficult? Is it do we wish we weren't walking that path? Yes. But God can take all those that Satan wants to use for our destruction. Yeah. And use it for God's glory and for God's hope to permeate situations that in other ways would would not be able to be to be able entered into with with my friend Jim. Like he was totally turned off to God, except for he saw through my dad's suffering and through his trust and through his faith that he serves a God of hope yes. and a God of life. And it just was was such a beautiful reminder to me that Satan tries so hard to destroy. Right. To to destroy. And then and God is like, no, I have redeemed this. Right. So that's what I hold on to. Yeah. Take us through what actually happened on the night that your dad passed away. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready to do that? Yeah. So worst worst night of my life. Yeah. So my, my again, like I said, Uncle Russ and my dad you know, this this story of dad's suffering, I mean, Uncle Russ walked that road with him in a way that none of the rest of us understand. Right. Um, we all walked it our own way, but that just because there is this special, special connection that they have always had. Yeah. So he was in the room and my mom and Erica and Brian and Kevin and I and Aunt Jan. And we were, we were like, we're going to take turns because we knew the end was coming. We're going to take turns. So I was going to stay... Um, that night and Erica and Brian and my mom and then Kevin and Jan and Russ were going to take Ellie home. So they they were heading back to our house. Ellie was three at the time. So they were heading back to our house and I was just getting settled in and Kevin called and he said, Evie, you're going to need to come down to the emergency room. Ellie's having a breathing attack. She had really horrible issues with croup and she's having a breathing attack. So we're turning around, coming back. And you're gonna need to come down. And I was like, well, dad's not doing well. Are you sure I need to come down? And he was like, yes, you need to come down. So I went down and I met him in the emergency room and Ellie was just, I mean, gasping for air. I mean, she was, she was having probably the worst attack that she had ever had. 
And the emergency room was completely full, as it often is at Loyola. <laughs> but she was mm-hmm. in such a terrible state. That they're like, well, we're going to put you in the trauma bay. So the trauma bay, at the, it's different now at Loyola. But when, when we were there, it was just um, an open space with like some curtain, like beds with like curtains in between. And Loyola okay. is a level one trauma center. So they get things that other hospitals can't deal with, especially okay. in trauma. And so we were sitting there and they were trying to give Ellie a breathing treatment, which is like where they put a mask over the kid's face and it like they breathe Mm -hmm. in in medicine. And she just was so scared and she just was a mess and she was not having it. Mm -hmm. And so she she kept trying to push it off. And so we finally got her to like relax and put the breathing mask on her. And we heard gunshot wound to the head over the loudspeaker. And all of a sudden they come, the doors, trauma doors fly open. They are bringing in this guy who has been shot in the head and has blood like streaming down his, his head. And we're sitting there like staring at this, you know, and they, the, one of the nurses runs over and like closes the curtain, but there's a flurry Mm -hmm. of activity and Ellie freaks out and I'm holding her and she just throws up all over me and she's just and at this time like all this is going on my phone rings and I answered it's my brother-in-law Brian and he's like Evie you really need to come up dad is he's he's gonna he's gonna be in heaven soon you really need to come up and I was like I can't come up right now I'm like I can't explain to you but I can't come up and I was like I'll call you in a minute it was absolute chaos and so they've somehow found a room for us, moved us out of the, out of the trauma bay. Finally, I got an Ellie settled. I'm still like dripping in vomit, yeah. <laughs> oh but she had gosh. settled down. And so, and Brian calls again and he's like, Evie, his breathing is super labored. You really need to come right now. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay. I said to Kevin, I think she's okay. I think she'll be okay with you. I'm going to go up and see my dad. So I went to leave the emergency room because I worked there, I had my badge. So I knew like the back routes through the emergency room to use the back door and the security guard stepped up and he goes, the ER is on lockdown. You can't leave. Oh my gosh. And I was like, no, I work here. I showed him my badge. I was like, I work here. It's okay for me to go. And he was like, no, because of the gunshot wound. So it was, what had happened was it was in a gang fight and the guy got shot in the head and was just like left outside the emergency room door. And so the whole emergency room was on lockdown. And I was like, you don't understand. I have to leave. And he was like, you can't leave. And I said to him, my daughter can't breathe. My dad is dying and I'm covered in vomit. You will let me go through that door. (laughs) (laughs) And so he finally went, okay. Yeah. I was just like, this is not a nice to mess with me. (laughs) Right, right. So, um... I like rushed to get to the elevator. It was the middle of the night. So there weren't people there. It was like the halls were empty, but like it took forever for the elevators or at of least course. it seemed like it took forever for the elevator. You know, I finally get up there. I like rush into my dad's room and Erica was like, you just missed him. Oh my gosh. And so I just started sobbing and I just said to my dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh. And, um, it, it, it just felt just so defeating and so yeah. terrible. It was like I, I, I wasn't there yeah. um, for his last breath, but it was like I was where I needed to be. You right. know, and it was this 
such a conflict, such a whirlwind. It was like I needed to have been with Ellie, but I felt like I should have been here with my dad. And it was just this terrible, terrible moment, you know, and I finally got it under control. We had to figure out what to do with getting my mom home and, yeah. and everything. And so we decided that Erica and Brian would take my mom home and she had valley parked her car. So I had to go try and find her keys. <laughs> so I'm like wandering around the hospital at like two o'clock in the morning, maybe three o'clock in the morning and trying to find oh the, somebody to help me find her car keys so I could drive the car home. And then um, I ran into the same security guard wow. that I was in the emergency room. And I just, again, started sobbing. Mm. And I said, well, my dad just died. I'm probably not your favorite person right now. Mm. I'm like, but, but I need to find my mom's car keys. And he was like, no, you have had a horrible night. Aww. Let's go find your mom's car yeah. keys. He was so sweet and so Good. very forgiving and understanding. And so we, we got my mom's car and I drove home. And I just remember that night, there was like this just horrible dullness I just, I didn't have anything left to feel. I just didn't know what to do. I was just like, and I'm a feeler. So mm -hmm. to not have any, feel any emotions, I was just so exhausted mm -hmm. and so scared. And I walked into our room and, and I just screamed, why? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just screamed and screamed. Yeah. And I heard, the only this is the only time in my life I've ever, ever heard God audibly. And he said, do you trust me? Hmm. And I realized I was like, this is the moment. Like, do I trust him? Right. Do I actually trust that he is who he says he is? Mm -hmm. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the fear, in the midst of all the loss, do I trust that he is who he says he is? That he knows what's best? Right. And I just said, yes. And I just, just like pretty much like collapsed on my bed. I was so tired, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I felt his arms. And honestly, for the next months, I still had this dullness. I didn't know even how to pray. Yeah. So I just started praying through the Psalms to be my words. And I have a master's in written communication. Right. I mean, words are my life, right? but I felt my words were taken away from me yeah. and I didn't I didn't know how to express myself, but the Psalms were able to express that deep pain, that deep longing, and that deep trust that I now had, that I really did understand what it meant to trust. Yeah. And I still have to be reminded. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we all do. But I think that's so beautiful because you were living out that that Romans passage where it says that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf yes. and, mm -hmm. you know, the groaning. And sometimes we don't know, we don't have the words right. to pray, Exactly. but God gave us words. He gave us his word yes. and how beautiful that is that you are living that out. Yeah. So the Psalms have become very precious and mm -hmm. special to me. It was a start, a restart yeah. for me in my faith. And it was, you know, I never doubted God's sovereignty. I never mm -hmm. doubted that he was good. I yeah. never, it wasn't like that, but there was this unknown. Mm -hmm. That's why I think it's like a dullness, like an, yeah. uh, like I don't understand. And it was a new understanding of who God is mm -hmm. through, through suffering, through being able to trust. And one of the things that I've learned from this, um, that I think is extremely important is 
the value of lament. We often don't let ourselves, especially as Christians, lament. Yeah. And and even in that moment, like I felt so guilty. Oh, I, you know, I know dad's in heaven and he's fine. And so I should be okay. And we should just get on with life. And we don't understand that lament is so incredibly important. And it's important to understanding who God is. Yes. Because Jesus lamented. You know, I mean, you think about in the garden when he's crying and he's so emotional, he's like sweating blood. Mm. I mean, he understood lament. And for us to not allow ourselves to lament, I feel separates us from understanding a part of who God is. Yeah. And from also being able to to fully trust. Like when I'm lamenting, I have to be vulnerable. I have to be open. I have to say to God, okay. I am hurting and I don't understand and I need to just talk to you. I need to just rest in you um, and allow him to embrace me and to give me the peace and the comfort and be okay with if I don't understand it. And lament is not linear either. I mean, it comes and goes. I still have times when I lament that my dad isn't here. I mean, he's never met Esther. Right. When I see Ellie playing in senior band and I know how much he would have loved that. I have times of lament. Yeah. Which is okay. And and that's something I feel as Christians we feel like, no, we gotta have a, you know, stiff stiff upper lip and we can have this beautiful joy. But part of joy is understanding that lament is a part of our lives. Yes. And we can't understand the fullness of that joy if we don't let ourselves lament yeah. and let ourselves understand that aspect of God as well. They they really are all a part of who God is. Yeah. And um, for me, that was huge. And joy is different than happiness. Joy exactly. is completely different than yes. the emotion of being happy. So you're right. right. Yeah. Joy, sometimes we find joy with sorrow connected. Yes. Oh, totally. No one really understands that. Jesus exemplified that through his suffering and death on the cross. I mean, that that was so incredibly painful for him. But yet he found the joy to keep going and and complete it for us. Exactly. Exactly. Finding that that joy outside of me, that joy in who Christ is and God and not just focusing on myself but in the, in the greater picture of, of the kingdom. So that's been huge for me. We were actually, one of the amazing things that came from this though was, again, like I said, like doctors and nurses and like my colleagues. So because I did media relations at Loyola, I actually did media relations for the medical school and the medical school has a blessing um, before anatomy class where they like say a blessing over the bodies and it's a beautiful, beautiful oh, wow. ceremony. Helping the students, they, they actually call them their teachers. Wow. The bodies, they say, these are your these are your teachers. And they have given of themselves. They have given to be able for you to give life now to others because of your learning from them. And wow. so I, I pitched this to the Maya Brashear, who is the Chicago Tribune religion reporter. This was before my dad was sick, actually. And she had said, I'm really interested in that story, but I'd like to make it personal. I'd like Mm. to talk to a family who's donated their body, their loved one's body, 
Well, we couldn't do that because it's it's confidential. Right. You know, it's medical information confidential. So we couldn't we couldn't do that. And I was like, okay, well, I'll keep I'll keep my ears open. Well, my dad donated his body to Loyola. Oh my gosh. Wow. I did not know that. Yes. And so I called Manya and I was like, I don't know if this is like a conflict of interest, but my dad has donated his body to Loyola and my mom is open for you doing a story and talking to her about this. And so Manya came out to the the blessing ceremony and my mom was able to talk to 150 medical students oh my gosh. and give her testimony mm. about how my dad lived a life of service to God and to others and his gift to them was his body so that they would be able to be of service to God and to that. others. Mm. So Manya interviewed my mom, was here for the blessing ceremony, wrote this beautiful article in the Trib that went out around the world. Wow. It was picked up by, yeah, by just by newspapers and news outlets around the world. Mm. Again, Satan tried to use this death and destruction and this sorrow, right? And God said, I'm going to redeem this yes. and use this for my glory and for my kingdom. I love that. And squashed him, yeah, right? Right. It just was such an amazing experience of God knows every step that we take. Yeah. He knows the paths. Now, does he stop the pain and the suffering? No, but he can redeem our pain right. and our suffering That's right. for his glory and to be used to for the benefit of others. You know, who knows how many people have received life because of one of the medical students who worked on my dad's body, yes. who learned from that. Satan wants to say death is the end and you're done. And, it, and God's like, no, right. that's why I was on the cross, right. right? I conquered death. It is no longer the end. Right. I Even in death, can I bring life? Right. Can I bring physical life through like what happened with the students who worked on my dad's body? But and then spiritual life with being able, my mom being able to share that testimony and with Manya telling their story. And, you know, it just was such a beautiful reminder of how conquering death is not just Jesus out of the tomb. Right. 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 We all get to be a part of that resurrection. Hope. Amen. What a beautiful way to say, Satan, you have been crushed. Right. You can try your best. Yeah. You can give us your worst, which he does. He does. He does. And but God is like, no. <laughs> right. I am redeeming this. That is beautiful. So thankful that God allowed that opportunity. Yeah. And that my mom was willing to share her story, um, even though painful. I mean, could you imagine like she's in the room? like with these medical students and a bunch of like bodies that are covered up. And one of those was my dad. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But yet she preached with such power Oh yeah. and such Holy spirit inspired words that she did not let death and Satan conquer the light that Jesus had mm. to bring into that room at that moment. Mm. And just a beautiful example of the resurrection hope that we have. Yeah, I was going to say no one could do it better than your mom. No one. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. <laughs> She's so good at that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful testimony of God's redeeming grace in our lives, mm -hmm. you know, going through yes. things, the hard things. Nowhere in the Bible does it say 
that we, you know, when we accept Jesus as our savior, that suddenly everything's just going to be all perfect and roses and, you know, life without pain and, and suffering. Jesus did not promise that, but he did promise that he has overcome the world as he stated in John and that we can have peace through him. Yeah. Exactly. And he promises to never leave us or forsake us. And you guys yeah. are walking that daily. I see that daily as you walk through. Thank you. Grief is a lifetime for some. Yes. It's a lifetime journey road that you have to walk. And it, like you said, it's not linear. It resurfaces. Mm-hmm. It comes back around. Yeah. But we can keep going and have victory through through the power of the Holy Spirit and through Jesus That's Christ right. and what he did for us on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Amen. And again, it's okay to lament. Yes. And even though it was like 11 years ago that my dad died, I still have moments of intense lament. Mm. And God is okay with that. Yeah. He's okay when I need to come to him with my sorrow, when I don't understand. You know, I think we we sometimes want to be like, well, God doesn't want to worry about my little questions, but he does. He does. He wants us to come to him and to bring our concerns and to bring our hurts and just to lay them at his feet. And he understands when sometimes we pick them up again and need to redo it again. It's okay. Right. And so we need to embrace the idea of lament. Yeah. So I think that's such an important concept that in in the church, we don't need to always live in Christian nice. Right. It's okay that there's suffering. Yes. And we need to love ourselves, love others through that time of suffering, just as Christ loved us. And as the father loved Christ when he was in his time of suffering. Right. Yeah. So it's okay to be in lament. <laughs> yeah, we need to not be afraid of it. Yes. It's okay. Exactly. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> I appreciate I I always say that vulnerability comes with bravery as well. You yeah. know, like making yourself right. vulnerable, you have to be brave in order to do that, which kind of contradicts yeah. itself, you know, no, but it's in a true. way, but it's true. <laughs> so I appreciate your braveness and your boldness and sharing something that is is still hard and painful to yeah. talk about. But as you continue on in your journey, I don't know, for me, every time I tell my story, there's a little more healing. Yeah, right. Exactly. There's a little more healing. And right. um, so I, I hope that this brings you a little more healing today, Evie. Definitely. Yeah, Thank you definitely. So much. Thanks, Heather. Thanks for letting me share and letting me share about my amazing dad. So. <laughs> Okay, at some point I wanted to say, I'm not crying, you're crying. What a beautiful testimony. Thank you so much, Evie, for sharing with us today. I can't tell you how blessed I am. I'm blessed to know you, and I'm blessed to call you my friend. Your dad's life was so inspirational, and your story was as well. That's all for today, and as we continue this series, on our next episode, we're going to look at a different type of loss. Loss doesn't always have to mean losing a life. There are lots of different aspects of grief. So stay with me as we continue on with this series. Thanks for listening. The Prepare Podcast is a production of the Salvation Army Central Territory Women's Ministries Department. And as always, I hope that this podcast has left you feeling prepared and equipped for tomorrow. And I'll see you real soon.
God bless you guys.